Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me as always, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, how was your new year? Yeah, all right, all right. I haven't been feeling the greatest. Uh, Andrew Postacoglu kind of <laughs> chuckled at that, I think, when he could see that I was struggling a little bit at the start of the press conference yesterday after the game. Uh, so yeah, he enjoyed my misery slightly. Um but yeah, no, fine. Uh, obviously, we've got to apologise to everyone for not having had a pod for a little while. Um, mysteriously, we couldn't do one after the Everton game. I have no, no, re- no real idea why that didn't take place. Nothing uh, to do with we, me. No, nothing to do with Guessy, definitely no. not. Um, and then we had some technical issues, which meant we couldn't put one out uh, last week, which was a shame. But we're back. And actually, quite nicely, we're doing it after a victory and a very nice close to 2023. And we can look forward into 2024 with plenty of optimism in this podcast as well. Yeah, certainly a much needed win, especially going on what happened at the Amex Stadium on Thursday night. Spurs losing 4-2 at Brighton. That late rally just came, you know, too late in the day. But I mean, if Pierre Emil Hoiberg scored that third, I think they might have... uh, gone on and got a fourth, but that wasn't to be the case. So, yes, yeah, Spurs went into Sunday's game against Bournemouth, you know, needing three points, really, just to keep in touch, touching distance with the top four, and they got the job done. 3-1 win. Spurs, you know, not exactly at the best. I was really, really impressed with Bournemouth yesterday. I think they can come out of the game with a lot of credit, but, yeah, thankfully, Tottenham, three points on the board, and now one point behind Arsenal in fourth. So we're not going to do a segment on the Everton game then, no? we just going to brush that under the carpet? Not just, you know? Too late in the day now, but if you want to go over it, by all means. <laughs> no, I don't. Actually, to be fair, and I said this to you on the day, Everton played very well and Spurs kind of got away with that result. They did. In a way, there were some similarities to yesterday's match against Bournemouth. I thought Bournemouth were excellent. Um, and yeah, probably similar to that day is that maybe... There just wasn't the finishing ability there to put it away, which was perhaps more of a surprise with Bournemouth because obviously Solanke's been in good form. But they, I mean, Vicario had one save to make, didn't he? I think that was it. I can't really remember any more than that. Yeah, I think that was the one at the start of the second half. Bournemouth had a lot of chances, but just it didn't really happen for them in and around the area. Uh, Solanke had a header, didn't he, early on from across from the left flank. and. Just couldn't get the power on it. Obviously, poked one wide at the start of the second half, hit the crossbar. But on another day, you know, Spurs could have been put to bed there if that was another team in, in that position. Uh, but I'm just thinking of the teams who've actually come to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and, you know, had a real go at Spurs and taking the game to them. I think Liverpool, certainly, in that first yep. 30 minutes or so before the red card, and then, say, Everton and Bournemouth. Are the other two who've caused Spurs some real issues? Yes, yeah. We'll we'll put, we'll put Everton in there as a gift for you for uh, the festive period. But uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm joking. They they did all right. I wouldn't say they were like. How do I put it? I wouldn't say they were dominating Spurs Everton, but they were certainly dangerous, and there were moments when they could have done better with their finishing and, and could have made it a very different scoreline. But Bournemouth, I mean Spurs performance kind of followed a little bit of a similar routine at the moment where Spurs started the game on fire and there's some beautiful football obviously Saar scored a lovely goal and you kind of felt okay here we go and then they just slightly went into their shells whether it was tiredness I don't know um but 
yeah, it didn't. They had to kind of become a more of a gritty performance and things like that. And and it's one of those where I think we're at that stage of the season with such a weakened side. I mean, the Saar and Valise injuries that we're going to talk about, it takes them straight back into double figures again for <laughs> players unavailable. It's just crazy. Um, and I guess during this period, you just get through it any way you can. And if that means that you have to dig in occasionally and be a little bit gritty, a bit lucky as well, I think you just take that. I mean, to finish the 2023 three points off the top of the table, it's just remarkable, bearing in mind everything that's been thrown at Postacoglu and his Spurs team in the recent uh, weeks and months. It's just amazing. And, and we were talking about this yesterday. People obviously rave about how Arsenal have been doing and, and Man City having a difficult season, but you know they're still there. They're challenging. Both are one point ahead of Spurs. And, like, and you look at... Um, Villa and Liverpool, obviously. Villa having an amazing season. And Liverpool, you know, they're roaring back. And and what are they, three points out of Spurs? And it's just like it's this incredible kind of... Spurs just hanging on in there. And it's such... A, I mean, we're going to talk about the 2023 and 2024 and what it will bring. But they've got to be looking at it with real optimism. If they can properly get you know, players back and, and get some faces through the door as well... I think they're in a terrific position, really, to move forward now. And, uh, yeah, look, they were indebted to some uh, profligacy. God, that's difficult to say when you're all bunged up. Profligacy (laughs) from um, Bournemouth. They had 21 shots at goal, uh, Bournemouth, but they only got four on target. Spurs only had 12 shots on goal, but uh, sent six of those on target. And, of course, three into the back of the net. Um, and they were lovely goals. All three Spurs goals were really lovely finishes. Um, Bournemouth was a nice goal, actually, to be fair. It was a really well-worked move, and uh, Alex Scott, who's he's a talent. He's one of those I'm gutted that Spurs didn't go for him, and he's a big Spurs fan as well, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think his family are Spurs fans, so he'll be one, I'm sure. Spurs will continue to keep an eye on in the years ahead, but I guess he's gone to Bournemouth and he's getting probably more regular football than he would have done at Spurs. But yeah, um, Ariola's team play some lovely football. You can see why they've... I mean, this is another thing. Bournemouth came into the game having won seven of their previous nine matches. And similar to, you know, you Everton who came in as one of the informed teams. And Spurs are, regardless of how they get there, they're taking on the most informed teams in the competition and they're coming away with victories. And that's just a huge thing. If anything, it's against the likes of like Brighton, I suppose we use as the most recent example, that have maybe been stuttering a bit and then Spurs go there and kind of mess it up. Um, but as you say, that last 10 minutes and nine minutes of added time, Spurs easily could have still got a point from the Amex, which was just crazy. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I asked Postacoglu about it after the game and he said, you know, it had a bit of everything and they needed a bit of everything from that performance. And that's pretty much sums it up nicely for me. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get games every week where Tottenham have gone to blow teams out of the water like they did against Newcastle, for example. It's going to be games where you need to find different ways to win. And that's exactly what they did against Bournemouth. They definitely needed that second goal uh, just to give them that bit of a cushion. Uh, Bournemouth were obviously applying intense pressure to Spurs at times but no fair play got the job done in the end and finished the year on a high and speaking of finishing the year on the high Rodrigo Bentenker back in the team that was one thing that anybody was expecting at all I think it was about 
35 minutes before kickoff. Spurs on their X account tweeted a picture. It was Pedro Porro, Brian Hill, Giovanni Celso, and Rodrigo Benske on the pitch together on the pre match walk. And I think that just got everyone thinking. Spurs fans obviously went into overdrive. And then at uh, one o'clock, the team news finally broke. Not only was Rodrigo Bentonke in the match they squad ahead of schedule, he was starting the game. That was just gave everyone a thing inside the stadium. And really giving the players as well just a huge, huge lift to have this influential player back. And I mean, it was just over a month ago when he did that ankle lim- ligament damage against Aston Villa following that Matty Cash tackle. And I think the time frame at the time it was gotta be like two and a half months, he'll be back mid-February. And you're thinking, well, at a time when he was probably going to be the one covering for Pat Matasar and Yves Basuma at the AFCONs, you're thinking, oh, Spurs are going to be so short in midfield here, but it's like a machine. <laughs> He's just come back so soon, and he wanted to come back earlier from the ACL injury as well. He thought he was like way ahead of schedule, but I think Spurs were a bit more cautious with that one, given it was a, a long-term issue, a serious one, but full credit to him putting in the hard work at Hotspur where he's getting himself ready ahead of schedule. I mean, Ange did hint at a possible early return for Benson Kerr in his pre-match Everton press conference when he mentioned Mickey van der Ven, James Madison and Benson Kerr probably back around the same time in January. But now to have Benson Kerr back December the 31st, absolute brilliant news. Yeah. I suppose I've been a little bit sneaky about it. Um, and Postacoglu, you know, in the week after the Brighton game, we did a little kind of, we didn't have a proper pre-match Bournemouth press conference. It was one that we we did on the end of the uh, post-match at Brighton. And he very clearly said, you know, Skippy's the only one we're likely to get back. Um, to be fair, you know, Benzinger having been training all week, it sounds like quite late on he's asked him, are you okay? How are you feeling? And he was so kind of surprised at how well he'd done in the training in the week and how positive Benzinger was about his body and not feeling any pain and things like that, that he thought, well, well, why not? You know, Why would you not put one of your best kind of midfielders straight back in there if he feels he's able to do it? Um but yeah, it was. Uh, I think the only indication we knew something might be happening was actually Benzico's wife put out a little kind of Instagram story thing, like a little hint. It was, uh, yeah, it was. I can't even remember what it was now. It was uh, something with his his number, wasn't it? His squad number and like the, some kind of cryptic thing. And and we have presumed it meant that he was kind of heading back into training. I don't think anyone expected uh, until we suddenly saw those photos of him walking around in his like squad because. Uh, squad in his um, what do you call it in his tracksuit stuff and his match day stuff. Whereas normally in recent weeks we've been seeing him sat by the side of the dugout, just behind in his jeans and his hoodie and all that sort of stuff. So I think as soon as you know they're in their training gear, something's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, we could not have seen him being straight in the um, starting lineup. And like you say, it just suddenly galvanised everyone. The the players had that extra bit of confidence, the buzz inside the stadium. When his name was read out just before kickoff in the team lineup, honestly, it was almost like a deafening roar. It was incredible. Um, and and that's what just having one of these core key players back does. Can you imagine what they're going to be like when they've got Madison, Van der Ven, Romero all back in the side and Sonny back from the um, Asian Cup and, and then Basuma and Saar back from the Africa Cup of Nations. I mean, 
you know, Postacoglu kind of joked a couple of weeks back, didn't he, that, you know, his dream was to see what um, Benton Curran and Basuma were like together in the midfield. That's his plans and all that. And he hadn't even, even been able to see that yet. So, yeah, if one player can kind of have that effect. And to be honest, it was almost more important as performance because his performance was quite rusty and, and it was as you would expect. Um, he did have some important moments, obviously one back possession for the first goal um, and a few kind of decent tackles. Defensively, he did quite well. Um, I think I've got some of his stats here. He had um, one tackle, one interception, five clearances, but his pass rate, which surprisingly for Bentica, was only 76.7%, which was quite low. I mean, for example, I think Lacelso's was up in the 90s somewhere, and obviously Lacelso's playing even more attacking kind of attempted passes. Um, but I just felt that just his mere presence just pushed everyone on around them. And, uh, yeah, great to see him back. And, and Postacoglu did call him a warrior afterwards, and I think that sums him up perfectly. Um, it was terrific to see him back. Yeah, great to see him back on the pitch. Like you said, probably just a bit rusty, lacking that true match sharpness, because, let's be honest, he's not played a great deal of football across 2023. No. Uh because of the two separate injuries. But yeah, just so, so good to have him back on the pitch and just getting, I think it was about 57 minutes in the tank, will have done him the world of good. And, it's actually uh, at 67 because they played 10 minutes of added time at the end of the first half. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah good point. That'll help. Uh, That'll help. Oh, of course it will. And Burnley at home in the Cup on Friday, you're thinking... Angel probably make a few changes here and there to freshen things up. So, yeah. You know, he could be given another start, and that's only going to, you know, boost him, uh, especially going forward with, you know, a big game against Manchester United coming up as well. It's a timely boost, and I think everyone, what everyone wants now is just James Madison, Mickey van der Ven, Christian Romero to be back from their injuries. Then, whether it's the end of January, mid February, you've got Eves Basuma. Pat Matasar and Son Heung Min to come back. So it's just Mana one Solomon. Mana Solomon is an yeah, option yeah. from the bench. He's like, I think people forgot the little impact he'd had, like the Burnley game, the assists, and things like that. Yeah, this is it. I think Spurs are in such a good position in the table now to attack 2024. I think that perhaps a tad lucky that January is not a mirror image of December when you've got so many games on the agenda. This time, what potentially four? if they go through in the FA yeah, Cup. Yeah. So that's going to help them. If Spurs can get through January unscathed and still be in a very good position in the Premier League table, then they're only going to improve from February onwards once all these key players come back. So, yeah, it could potentially be a really exciting end to the season. Yeah, and it's about belief, isn't it? I think that's the key thing. If, if they're winning games and showing that togetherness without their key players, it kind of it makes those players that have come in feel like they really contributed. It boosts their confidence. It means when you, if you do have to rotate as the season goes on as well, you'll have no qualms about bringing them in. Um, and the other thing for me, um, I, I think you probably feel slightly the same, is that I did feel like having Benton Core back showed you the difference between having him and Hoybier in that number six role. Um, and I, you know, we've often give a load of praise to Hoybier. I think he has made some really important contributions this season, mainly kind of late in games from the bench and stuff like that. But I just think 
seeing a player who's very, very willing to come back, accept those quick passes in the tightest of situations and either play a very quick ball out to the flanks, which is what Postacoglu really likes to happen in his system, or have the ability to twist, turn, get away from the press himself, and then suddenly there's loads of room behind him. And that's what Bentoncourt does. And actually, Oliver Skip, I mean, we were talking about this previously, that Oliver Skip's very good at playing the first-time pass when it comes to him as well out to the flanks. He's fine with that. I think it's just kind of knowing where everyone is. Whereas I feel with Hoybier, that's just one of the things that slightly kind of rules him out for me of being the perfect Postacoglu number six, is I just feel in those moments when he comes deep, and sometimes he doesn't come deep, we were talking about that, sometimes he doesn't show quite as much for those passes, but when he does, he just takes that split second extra and he doesn't immediately knock it out to the flanks or know where everyone needs to be. And that extra beat for the opposing kind of pressing team pins back the fullbacks and it makes it so much more difficult for them to get out. Um, and I just feel that that, I think Benton Kerr for me coming back has a big knock-on effect for Hoybier in the January window. And I, I kind of feel, we, we kind of, very clearly would say it, it kind of would be madness at one point to let Hoybier go. And then that kind of slightly turned into, well, if they're getting a replacement, that's fine. Whereas I think now if Benton has come back this quickly and you've got Benton and Skip for the number six role for now and Basuma coming back as well. So you've got three players for number six. I do think they're in a scenario now where they could probably allow Hoybier to leave to get regular football bring in a replacement who's a number eight and then maybe flesh out that kind of midfield a little bit better in terms of the options. Yeah, I think I'd certainly, if Tottenham can strike a deal for Conor Gallagher, then you do that. If you can get Gallagher, let Hoybier go. But I suppose if you can't get Gallagher, I'd probably just keep Hoybier till the end of the season. I agree. I think Benteke is better in the number six role. He's a better footballer. Uh, better on the ball. Hobieg does have his strengths, but I think, as you mentioned, I think his biggest impact this season has been coming off the bench and just that know-how that uh, now to help Spurs get over the line. I think that's been huge at times, uh, especially the looting game away when they were down to 10 men. But if you can get Conor Gallagher in, which, to be honest, (laughs) why on earth Chelsea would even be considering selling him who probably has been their star player this season. The player who's captained them for probably the vast majority of the season. It's just total madness from a Chelsea point of view, but from a Spurs perspective, he's just got all the attributes to be a really, really good player for Postacoglu in that number eight role. So go for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so strange, the Conor Gallagher situation. It's one of those from the outside. You'd be like, why? Why? Why would you let your kind of captain one of your best young players go? But they've got these issues. They've got these financial fair play issues. And I saw a report today, like linking them with uh, Todibo. And then you kind of think, what? How can they kind of lash out more on another kind of player? It's, it's nonsensical. And yeah, Spurs a little bit premature. I think some of the reports that they're in talks over Gallagher, but certainly he's one, I think they'll monitor right towards the end of that window. The priority right now is a center back, but we'll, uh, yeah, we've got plenty to say about the centre-backs. Yeah, I don't understand those Chelsea-Toddybo links. I mean, I've not been keeping that close an eye on Chelsea all season, but I'm sure there are a number of centre-backs at the club, a lot more than Tottenham, 
So it's just one of those we'll yeah. just have to keep an eye on and see what happens with Toddy Bo. Uh, but yeah, let's speak about another midfielder who had uh, a rather mixed day, and that was Pat Matasar. Scored his second goal for the club after nine minutes. That was some great work from Bentica to uh, dispossess Ryan Christie. Fed it to Lacelso, who managed to knock it on uh, to Sarah. And he, just watching back the replay last night, he had acres and acres of space. No one went yeah. near to it. I mean, he could have gone into the area, a good couple more yards if he wanted. But yeah, really good finish into the bottom corner. But wasn't long after then he exited the pitch obviously went down with a hamstring injury he was distraught wasn't he when, when he left yeah. the pitch had his shirt over his head then he was Benton Kerr and Lacelso went over initially to comfort him uh son embraced him uh for you know a short period of time and I think Ange did exactly the same and especially with the AFCON tournament on the horizon his mind will have just been on that and thinking, oh, no, I'm going to miss out here on representing the country. Yeah, and actually didn't get too much of a chance to embrace him. He kind of headed off down the tunnel really quickly and, and distraught. And But, yeah, Sonny certainly had kind of really had a chat with him on the pitch. It felt a little bit like when Richarlison had his injury just before the World Cup and you could just you just feel gutted for them because... You know, he's contributed in his last game before heading off, scored a lovely goal. Yes, absolutely tons of space, but he took his shot so well. Um, and you just know what a huge kind of competition it is for him as well, because obviously Senegal won the last Africa Cup of Nations, but he was, I think it's fair to say, he was a, a bit part player back then because obviously he was so young. Whereas this time you kind of feel like he would have a bit more of a presence within the squad and the team and, and obviously doing fantastic things with Spurs. And... Yeah, just to see him go down like that and how upset he instantly got because he knew it could be potentially a worry. I mean, there's some suggestions that it might not be too bad, as bad as first feared, but obviously it's always a bit iffy to make an immediate prognosis on these things. You've got to wait for swelling to go down, do proper scans. I mean, crikey, if we'd done that with Christian Romero, <laughs> you know, we could have all kind of got a completely different take on that. Um, so fingers crossed for him. They are crossed. Fingers crossed for him that they uh, that he uh, goes to the Africa Cup of Nations and, and has a great tournament. Um, obviously, also new deal incoming for him for Spurs, which is great. Um, we said that like kind of early this month that, we expected him to follow very quickly in the footsteps of a doggy in the club to get that one tied up. And that is now heading towards its conclusion. Uh, looks like it should be announced pretty shortly, I'd imagine. Um, and great, a long-term one. Honestly, these are the players, him and a doggy and players like that, that could be the future of Spurs for years to come. Um, and it's quite scary how good they can become. Scary a good way for Spurs, scary in a bad way for the rest of the Premier League and and Europe as well because, yeah, sensational players are can be. So, um, yeah, just a case now of hoping he's okay and it's nothing that rules him out for too long um, and he can go away, not pick up any further problems um, at the Africa Cup of Nations, do well, come back energised and confident and, yeah, slot straight back into a busy second half of the season. Another midfielder who had a big, big impact against Bournemouth was Giovanni Lo Celso. Two assists to his name. 
Uh, obviously, Spurs have were missing an attack-minded midfielder with Dane Kulaseski suspended after picking up his fifth booking of the season against Brighton last time out. Lo Celso came straight in, took on that uh, big role in the team and just, you know, tried to knit things up between midfield and attack. And he very much did that with the two assists and his second assist of the game. Fabulous ball through uh, to Son with the outside of his left foot. I mean, we don't see him use his right foot much. So, uh, I mean, the outside of his left foot is pretty good, to be fair. And nice finish from Son. And it's just good to see Lo Celso having a big, big impact on uh, proceedings for Spurs at the moment because it's mad. Like, this is his fifth season at the club. And other than probably the second half of his first season at Tottenham, just not quite seen the best of him. But there was a really good interview with Lo Celso in Tottenham's Match Day programme where he was speaking about having a chat with Ange in pre-season, Ange making it crystal clear to him. He wanted him in his squad. That's just giving him the belief. He was saying he's just really, really grateful for Postacoglu and the work he's done so far. Obviously, he plays the style of football he loves. He, he believes that Ange is bringing out the best of not only him, but the squad as a whole, and he just seems to be really, really settled at the club at the moment. And he's just going from strength to strength. And I think he's going to be a big player for Spurs in the first uh, few months of twenty twenty four. Yeah, it was all it was all about the the Cell show for me. Honestly, he was so so good, um, and that interview was really good in the program. Um, and I like the fact that he just kind of feels so much more settled. He was saying that. And, and this is kind of ties in nicely with everything that I'd kind of been reporting and hearing behind the scenes. That I think when he first arrived at the club back in 2019, as things maybe didn't quite go his way and injuries kind of don't help him out either, um, I think... How do I put this in the, in the best possible way? I think he kind of stuck within the the South American clique, I guess. I don't think he really settled fully and really became a part of the kind of the squad with everyone else and also with the staff at the, the club. And I just think it took it. And I don't think it helped that he was constantly heading off on loans, different places as well. But I just feel like he's 27 years old now. He's only 23 when he first signed, I think. He's 27 now. He's a dad now. He's all those kind of years, much more mature. He's been to different places um, to play. And I just feel like behind the scenes, a lot of people have said they kind of see a real different Geo this season. And he's come back really kind of willing to be a big part of things. Um, obviously, kind of using his English a lot more, which I think is obviously also a big thing too. Um, even just to see in the little videos... We kind of don't normally see the like, the social media output that Spurs put out, the little funny videos. It never really used to contain Geo. He just used to exist there in the background, whereas now there's quite a few when he's in there and he's chatting away and he's talking English as well and he's clearly enjoying himself. It's got a, There is the little kind of South American and like mainly a Spanish-speaking click there as well and actually Portuguese-speaking. Um, but that South American click with, with Brian Hill in there as well, um, as an honor, an, an honorary member, um, it's it's quite an important kind of little collection of players now as well. Um, and obviously you've got Romero being the bridge to kind of put them all into the main group as well. And yeah, I was delighted for Lo Celso because 
to go from where he was as a player that, let's be honest, was being grouped in with Tongi and it was one of those where just like he was heading out the door, let's be honest. We were all kind of working out what club he was going to end up at. And Postacoglu's just come in and thought, no, actually, he's he's a really good number eight for my system. And that's exactly what Lacelso said in his interview as well on the programme. He says, it's just, he is a number eight, loves to play in that role, left of the three. It's what he does for Argentina. It couldn't have had a perfect, kind of, a more perfect manager at the right time than he has in Postacoglu. Um, and this is his chance now. Postacoglu made a big deal in midweek about the fact that he wasn't dropped from the team. He just got injured when he was playing well and kind of lost and, and had to kind of get his place back in the team. And now with, you know, Kulisevsky's suspension, but also I think with Son heading off now, that naturally probably pushes Kulisevsky back into the front three again. It's a role for Lacelso really until Madison's fully fit and sharp to come back. And even then, you know, there's no reason why if Lacelso can get free flowing, they don't try to fit him and Madison both into that team. I'm sure there's a way of doing that as well. Um, that's the thing for Postacoglu now is is getting more options in these positions, and then the players making a case for themselves to be undroppable. Um, because yeah, it, it was great to see Willis Elsa. He's he's just got that lovely blend for me um, of the aggression and the creativity all in one, which is quite rare. There's not many playmakers are like that. You know, obviously Spurs been used to let's say Christian Eriksen in the past uh, or the more recent past and I think even <laughs> the the kindest people would say that Eriksen's tackling was maybe not his strong point you know he was good at harrying and pressing and all of that but if you wanted him to go in for a, a tough tackle let's be honest it wasn't happening uh, whereas Lo Celso almost sometimes goes the other way and goes too tough into tackles um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about Ange Postacoglu's little angry moment on the sidelines and I make sure if I don't mention it, I've got to mention Lo Celso's part in it because it's so funny. <laughs> it's really good because it was so surprising. Um, but yeah, I'm really delighted for Lo Celso. Um, and who knows what this brings? You know, maybe he ends up getting himself a new contract if he keeps going down this road. Who knows? I was just going to say, 18 months left on his contract yeah. uh, from today, New Year's Day. Obviously, now in the last 18 months of his deal. So, potentially, yeah, he could be extending his deal if uh, Ange wants to keep him at the club for the long run. And what I like about Lo Celso is there's a bit of bite in there, you know, the dark side bit, yeah. to, the, to the game. I mean, we saw it start of December with Erling Haaland where he made yeah. a bit of a beeline for him, knocked into him. Then there was the Jao Pedro incident the other day when yep. he was taking a bit of time going off the pitch. Uh, I think he was just whispering, I hope, hope you had a great Christmas, mate. I'm sure that's all he said. Yeah, it probably was something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just nice to have a bit of fight as well uh, in a player. So yeah, really, really good to see. Right, we're halfway through the pod, Ali. Do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? If you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Something I've used many, many times over the years, long before Nord came on board as our sponsors. It's terrific service one that i've used in various countries around the world whether it be for work or holiday 
to be able to watch those things that I normally wouldn't be able to watch uh, because of pesky restrictions that really make very little sense. If you're paying for a service, you should be able to watch what you've bought. Um, and also, as a security kind of measure, it's it can be helpful in terms of if you're on a public Wi-Fi and trying to stop nasty people taking things off of your device. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. For example, you can book flights from other countries and that can be cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Let's speak about Spurs attack then yesterday and Rich Allison getting his name on the score sheet fifth goal in five games uh, I think you gave him a rating of what seven uh, someone not too happy about that <laughs> yes yes I had a uh, a gentleman email me at 12 27 a.m um, to let me know that he was very unhappy about my Richarlison uh, rating and it should have been higher um, it wasn't from uh, Rob Guest's work email account, well enough. Um, but yeah, I just, it, honestly, it just made me crack up. It was just kind of one of those things where I just can imagine this. I, I think it's from someone in England. Certainly the terminology was very English phrases. Um, and just, you can just imagine he's kind of sat there to watch the fireworks on the TV. And he just thought, Oh yeah, I was going to have a go at gold, wasn't I? For his rubbish Richardson rating, and he said this very kind of, just such a really kind of solemn uh, email to my work email account, and it didn't say Happy New Year, it didn't say anything like that. It just dispensed with all of the kind of you know the niceties and just got straight into it, um, and it just made me laugh. I just replied something like. Happy New Year to you, and to, I hope you had a lovely time with your family. <laughs> it's just like, just incredible. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of player ratings. Everyone's got a different view. They're very subjective. Um, I can put out player ratings. I look occasionally underneath just to kind of almost confirm what I know, and that's that everyone underneath is going to have a completely opposing idea to each other. You know, someone will say like, oh, Romero was rubbish. And the next one underneath will go, Romero is amazing. You've undermarked him. And you just go like, yep, yep. That's what I thought is this like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you can't succeed because there's always going to be someone who disagrees with you. Um, but that's the beauty of them. That's why they're quite fun as well um, to kind of discuss afterwards for people. And, uh, and like when we discuss performances on here, sometimes we see games differently. You know, you'd give Richardson a 10 in every match and, and you know, I, I don't. And, uh, yeah, I actually, I I thought he did a lot of good stuff defensively. He's definitely filling that Kane role as kind of the the imposing figure at the back in the box uh, who comes back and kind of puts a firm head on, on free kicks and corners. So that's a massive thing. I did feel like he was about to get hauled off, though, because uh, he had a big chance when it was it Sonny put him through. I think it was Sonny. Um, yeah, uh, a doggy, half. a doggy went through, wasn't it? And I think oh, that was the totally... next one. No, right. there was there was, a, there was an early one when Richardson was put through right in front of goal and just scuffed his shot wide. And then yes, Richardson had a chance to put a doggy through. 
completely fluffed that. And on both occasions, Postacoglu turned to his staff and you can see, first time he turned to him as if to say, you know, that's that's not good enough. And the second time he looked at him and, and that was when Jamie Donnelly started going to get called back from his warm-up. Um, and then, of course, it's the way it works, isn't it? As soon as that's happening, we get a carbon copy of the goal against Everton. Sorry to say that, it was Everton. Um, with... Emerson, lovely ball over the top. Brennan Johnson down the right. And then, yeah, pinging it straight into Richardson's feet. And and it was a lovely finish. He's so good at that. And and I know we've said this before, but the Postacoglu style of these low crosses into the box, although he's very good in the air, he's actually very good at kind of knocking it in from the six-yard box like that when it's coming at him from the side. Um, and, yeah, yeah, fair play. Five goals in five games is brilliant. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. Um, and another confidence boost for him, especially as he is going to be the sole lead kind of striker now for Spurs with Son away. There's there's no opportunity for him to to even really get rotated um, unless they maybe put Johnson through the middle for a little bit. I don't know, but he's, uh, like you said, if it is four games um, next month, they're going to be spaced out reasonably well. So hopefully as long as he stays fit and, Hopefully the back injuries kind of pass that as well. Um, certainly, obviously, hopefully he's the groin one with the surgery. But uh, no, it's, it's great to see. It's good. And uh, and obviously, as his biggest fan, you must be delighted. Yeah, he's doing well at the moment. Good to see him on yeah. the score sheet regularly, especially after his first what year at the club. Uh, yeah, I thought he put in a really big effort yesterday defensively as well. Contribute with, you know, some headers at times when Bournemouth are looking to put it in the box uh, but you're always going to get that from him it always works hard defensively I think going forward the thing is with Richarlison if he misses a big opportunity then that kind of like maybe overshadows the rest of his performance and that's what some yeah. people may remember and I think that and was very can go down which it didn't yesterday which yeah was yeah I think that was very much the case with that effort you talk about really good move from Spurs Lacelso heavily involved Sonny lovely reverse ball to put yeah Richarlison in and just watching back he didn't look up he didn't look up yeah. and he dragged his effort and he didn't need to take it then he could have maybe taken one more touch just to settle himself because he was in so much space uh yeah, I mean, that was a big opportunity. But, you know, thankfully for him, he managed to get his uh, name on the score sheet once again with really well-taken goal. And I said to you uh, earlier in the match, it's so good when Spurs get in behind the defence and if it's Brendan Johnson or someone else, just speeds off, yeah. puts the low ball in. They're so dangerous at that. And, yeah, pretty much was carbon copy of... Uh, the Everton goal and poor Jamie Donnelly because after that overhit pass from Richarlison, Donnelly was stripped ready to come on along yeah, with he was there. Yeah. Eric Dyer and then obviously Richarlison went and got the third and you're thinking leaving then it's still a really good opportunity to bring Donnelly on and just give him those minutes because he's been on against Man City and Newcastle this season uh, late in stoppage time so he's only got like a minute or two to his name, but for whatever reason, Ange decided to bring uh, a layover lease and Brian Hill on uh, with Eric Dyron. Unfortunately for Donnelly, he uh, missed out. And it's one of these now where, you know, there still could be some opportunities for him in January, especially with Son being away at the Asian Cup. We don't need the extent of the Lees' injury. 
but we're in this situation now where because Dane Scarlett's been recalled uh, from his yeah. Ipswich Town low spell. He's already back. We're thinking he could potentially get some minutes on Friday against Burnley. And Scarlett, it was literally minutes here and there at Ipswich, quite far down the pecking order. So they've got a number of strikers and all of a sudden, he's like second choice striker now because Sonny's away. This yeah, is just so, how how football works sometimes. It's crazy. Exactly. You said the words out of my mouth. It's exactly what I was going to say. That's the way football works. It's just remarkable how someone's situation can change. I mean, we're talking about Willis Elso, you know, just his entire Spurs career has suddenly turned on a sixpence. It's just gone in a completely different direction. Um, and yeah, Scarlett now, he's that probably first option from the bench to come and, you know, whenever Richardson's going to need a rest in the next month or so. Um, yeah, I'm sure Valise probably wishes now that Jamie Donnelly uh, came off the bench as well <laughs> rather than him. I did feel so sorry for him. That was awful. Um, and yeah, with Jamie Donnelly, I, I wonder uh, whether they kind of start to think towards the end of this month, do they allow Jamie Donnelly to go out on loan? Because I think they'll be queuing up for him. I'd be surprised if they're not. Um, I wonder if you get to the point where it's like, with Dane back and with Johnson as cover there, if you're not going to use him, is it not better to get him a second half of the season experience somewhere if it's, you know, League One, League Two, whatever? Um, or even, you know, like Troy Parrott's doing, maybe put him in somewhere like the Eredivisie and, and things like that and just get him a kind of a real uh, burst of senior football to his name. Um, and that, that could really, really help him. Same with someone like Alfie Dorrington. You know, if Alfie Dorrington's not going to be part of the uh, getting any kind of game time and they bring in, um, as we expect, another centre-back and obviously you've got Van der Ven Romero to come back, maybe the same with Dorrington. I know they're both very young and 18-year-olds, Spurs seem to loan them out normally a little bit later than that, you know, I'm, apart from the likes of Alfie Devine and there's been a couple, obviously, but mainly the loans are a little bit later on. But, yeah, I, I do that personally because I do think it's um, they're at that stage now where, yes, the under-21s are, are benefiting massively and they're, they're smashing it um, with the likes of Dorrington and Donnelly in there. But, I mean, there's also uh, Judson Bell as well. I would be stunned if he doesn't end up going out on loan uh, as well because he's that little bit older. So I guess maybe you kind of run into problems there is that you can't let everyone from the under-21s go out. And, you know, like Josh Keeley, there's a lot of interest I know in him as well, the young goalkeeper. So, yeah, maybe kind of Wayne Bennett, the under-21s coach, head um, under-21s head coach is probably thinking, oh, no, all right, don't load everyone out kind of thing. I, I want to kind of maintain this uh, momentum and, and, uh, and, you know, have something a little bit for my CV as well. Um, when it comes to the Spurs under 21. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But, yeah, I did feel for Donnelly just kind of not being able to come on again. That's two games in a row. He's been stripped and ready to come on, and it hasn't quite happened because the circumstances uh, outside his control. Yeah, it'll, it'll come for him. I think what it shows, though, is he's clearly in Ange Postacoglu's mind when it comes to attacking changes because yeah. there were obviously other options on there. One of them who came on, Brian Hill, he had a big chance to score uh, for oh, Spurs, yes. but headed against the crossbar. Yeah, I think just looking at it, I think it might just be a fraction behind him, just the way he's moving his head, because it's not like right in front of him and then it's a direct goal. Uh, Let's be honest, yeah. he's probably not also used to heading the ball. No, probably <laughs> the crosses not. into the box. So I think you kind of give him that as well. 
Yeah, I think he's one of these, the same with Brendan Johnson. Uh, you're just waiting for them to have this big, big moment. Johnson's yeah. having these little moments here and there with the assists, what, yeah. which is racking up now. I think he's got far in the Premier League so far for Spurs, but you're just waiting for him to have this big, big impact. And, you know, with Son now absent uh, at the Asian Cup for South Korea, it's an opportunity for your likes of Brendan Johnson, Brian Hill, Richarlison, Dane Kulaseski, Giovanni Lacelso, you know, maybe even Dane Scarlett as well, if there's going to be minutes here and there, a chance to step up and get these goals for Tottenham. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, But this has been the, the tale of this season, isn't it? It's been people coming in and making up the difference, you know, trying to... Uh, it's exactly what Postacoglu says. It's that everyone he's called upon to step into the breach because someone else has been out injured has come in and pretty much done the job. You know, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to make this another kind of Ben Davies raving about session, but, you know, again, just another very consistent performance for him. Um, and we know, sadly for him, there's going to be a point where the defenders are back and he's going to become the second choice left back again, despite everything he's done for the team this season. And it's, you know, I've seen various people tweet this. It's like right now, Spurs centre backs are their second choice left back and second choice right back. It's just an incredible scenario. And it's just such a huge credit to both of them. I thought Emerson was excellent yesterday. I thought he was so good. Um, and I, to be honest, I didn't really want Postacoglu to start with that back line because it's just. You know, they've conceded nine goals in the previous three games they'd played together. And you're just like, oh, kind of, how many more are they going to concede? And to be fair, yeah, I mean, even the goal they conceded was an unfortunate one. It was just a very good goal. Um, yes, of course, you can overanalyze it and see what should have been done and things like that. But it was a very good, swift passing move. Uh, but I just, yeah, I don't think you can criticise Emerson and Ben Davies for what they've kind of tried to do for the club in the last few weeks. They've they've stepped up and uh, and fair play to them really is. Yeah, uh, Destiny a doggy as well. I think he's someone who deserves a lot of praise for his performance yeah. yesterday because there were a number of times where Bournemouth had, you know, looked to have gone in uh, and had an opportunity there against Guillermo Vicario, but a doggy used his pace. There was a couple of times against Solanke where he's just got in, out-muscled him. Uh, really, really good performance from a doggy who he just gets better and better. Incredible player. Scared us a bit, though, when he went down at one point. I thought yeah. it was another hamstring injury. I mean, kind of, I wrote a piece last week and saying about the amount of hamstring injuries that uh, Postacoglu had at Celtic. And he kind of explained it's just unfortunate. It's a byproduct of the players having to adapt and get used to his higher demands in training and uh, and matches. And once they get used to it, the injuries start to really kind of not vanish, but it's more like the sports science get kind of on top of it. They they learn how, how they can manage exactly when to use them or when not to use them. And when you've got a bigger squad, you can rotate them that little bit better as well. But yeah. I mean, right now, Spurs are seeing exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, obviously, Saar having another hamstring, um, having a hamstring injury. You know, Romero did, Van der Ven did. Um, and yeah, for a moment, I thought Doggy had done something as well when he went down. But uh, yeah, young player, only going to get better. It's very exciting. And I mean, we should probably talk about Valise's injury yeah. kind of properly. That was, oh, I felt so sorry for him because... You could see there were some people kind of suggesting it was maybe a hamstring one, but you could tell he couldn't put any kind of weight down. 
Uh, I thought maybe it was a foot injury. It turns out it looked like it's apparently they fear it's a knee injury. And uh, and you saw him going through the mix zone. He had like a didn't he have a brace on his right knee and, and a crutches? I, d- I didn't see the brace on his right knee. I because we I think we were interviewing Sonny at the time. I only yeah. caught a glimpse of Valise, uh, the corner of my eye, and saw him on crutches leaving. Didn't see a brace, but apparently, yeah, that is the case. And she was saying just. So, so unfortunate for him, and he was absolutely gutted going off. That was just so yeah. bad seeing him in absolute tears. Postacoglu consoling him, Bentica, Lacelso was well, and you know, fair play to him for trying to play on. But I think in that situation, just stay stay on the ground because you could make the situation a whole lot worse. And Lacelso and Postacoglu were you know shouting him constantly, just go <laughs> to ground. And you can probably understand why Bournemouth were a bit upset over what happened it was because of the way he went to ground he went while these well i'll just go sit on the ground he literally just flopped to the ground didn't he <laughs> which was incredible he did and he did it twice and both honestly he looked like he died both times he yeah. just fell and it was like scary to watch um and yeah i kind of half understand the bournemouth thing but also i kind of entirely understand why that would just absolutely ignite and anger Spurs because they know how serious clearly yeah. it was. And yeah, they just, I don't think it helped. I don't think his own players helped him because first off, they weren't putting the ball out of play. And then there was a ridiculous moment where Hoivia <laughs> played a through ball for him. And just, he was like, oh, the poor kid. He like started to try and run for it and then realized, oh no, I can't actually put anything down on my right leg. Um, and like Postacoglu just turned around and like whipped his arms up in the air in absolute disbelief that had happened. I mean, in a weird way, I can't criticize Hoybier for not playing quick, instinctive passes, and then he goes and does it, and then I kind of criticize him. But my goodness, that was just not what he needed. And yeah, wow, when Postacoglu realized and heard the Bournemouth bench kind of sniping at them, saying that they were, presumably they were saying something along the lines that they were time-wasting, trying to get him to go down to get treatment, whatever. Or, I don't know what they were trying to get at, but my goodness, I have never seen, I mean, we've only had six months of it, but seeing Postacoglu, wow. It's like, it was like the moment the Incredible Hulk suddenly starts to go green and just has an uncontrollable rage. It was that was scary. It gave me kind of a little insight into what the wingers in like the late eighties and nineties would have had uh, coming up against that left back at South Melbourne. My word, he was, he was shaking. He was like flying forwards. And I was really kind of looked at the scrum that was around him. And he was so lucky because Sean Cooper, who was the Bournemouth um, assistant coach who got yellow card, it actually helped him a lot because he was stopping him from getting any closer really to the uh, Bournemouth dugout area. I think it was another coach that was actually um, kind of winding him up even more because he kept jabbing his finger past Cooper towards someone else. So you had Cooper in the way. Um, You had, there was a a security guard that we've seen a lot around the place who's part of the Spurs kind of staff. He was got his arm around him. There was always a really funny moment where Brennan Johnson gets involved. Brennan Johnson has kind of like a bewildered smile on his face. He's like, what the heck is going on? And that was really funny. Richarlison wanders by at one point. Um, 
Chris Davies gets involved in kind of trying to get it all back as well, the Spurs assistant coach. And yeah, eventually the security guard kind of hauls, which is an incredible effort, Postacoglu back. And I think all of that contributing to only getting a yellow card instead of a red, because I don't know what would have happened if he'd actually got hold of the person he really wanted to have a go at. He was like like a rampaging bear. It was incredible. Um, and the best one for me was poor Giovanni Lo Celso, who... If I'd have said Giovanni Celso is involved in that incident, most people would have thought, oh, he's got in there and he's put a sly elbow into someone or he's not, so he's tripped someone over. Just some kind of little kind of classic thing that he would have done. He didn't. He walked very calmly across to the Bournemouth manager and explained to him exactly what had happened. And you could see him saying, no, 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 he's really injured. We're just trying to get him to go down so we can get him off the pitch. And then he walks back to his box, uh, the dugout, and the uh, ref comes over and gives him a yellow card. And presumably, it's because he's gone into the opposition dugout, which you're just not allowed to do. And of all the things, he was being a peacemaker, trying to explain what had happened. But obviously, I don't even know if you get the appeal. uh, Obviously, you can't appeal a yellow card anyway. But if you could, I still don't think they'd overturn it because he went into the opposition dugout. But... uh, Honestly, I felt so sorry for him, yet laughed at the same time because it was the most uncharacteristic Lacelso moment ever. Yeah, we've seen a bit of Argy Bargy, haven't we, in the uh, technical area at Spurs over the past year? The Brighton game as well with De Zerbi. So that all kicks oh. off, didn't it? With Stellini. Stellini. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stellini was just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> that was the amazing thing. And he, he got the uh, the red card for not controlling his staff, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. Yeah. Right. Before we speak about, obviously, our best and worst of 2023 and what 2024 holds uh, for Tottenham, we've not forgot about him. Uh, Hugo Lloris, he said his yeah. farewell uh, to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at halftime yesterday. Obviously, he's sealed a move uh, across the pond. He's joining LAFC, the MLS team, and... Thankfully uh, for Hugo, he's got a nice early move because I think we're probably heading into this January window thinking, well, what's going to happen with him? Because I think everyone expects him to go in the summer, but a move never quite came to fruition. But he's got a really good move uh, over to America. And yeah, a number of Tottenham fans uh, obviously stayed in the seats at halftime, probably rather than going to the concourse because they wanted to pay tribute to Larice who said some really really good words and it was just nice to see that video as well uh on the screen showing the highlights that by Leverkusen save incredible how he managed to keep that ball out I don't know but yeah really good interview with Paul Coit as well and yeah he's just one of these who's been a modern legend at the club over the past 11 years and Obviously, such a shame how it ended for him in that Newcastle yeah. game at St. James's Park. But yeah, I think at least things ended on a high for him yesterday, saying goodbye. Yes, it was important to have that proper farewell. I mean, the Newcastle game would have been a horrendous way to sign off. And almost as equally horrendous was the walk of shame slash honour that they did uh, the final home game of last season where... Anyone that were there will know the ear-splitting music they pumped out to stop any booze being heard. Uh, so that wasn't a proper time for him to kind of say goodbye. Uh, but this was, it was lovely. And it's it almost kind of made me just sad that other players haven't been able to have that same opportunity. Obviously, the most 
obvious one is Harry Kane. We'd love to see that. Maybe that'll happen at some point. Uh, I guess Gareth Bale got to come back and kind of kind of do it recently with a half-time chat with Coity as well. But yeah, Lloris, he spoke so well as well. It was really lovely. I think his sign-off line was one of my favourite. It was, uh, it's time for me to say goodbye, but it's goodbye from the player, not from the man. I will be a Spurs man for the rest of my life. It was just so well thought out. And that's how he was as a captain. I think he's so underrated as a captain. He had everyone's respect behind the scenes at Spurs, Lloris. He just, I mean, he's a World Cup winner. He's a guy that's been there, done it. Was he 37 years old now? It's, you know, there's there's a reason that in that French dressing room, he was the captain. You know, all of the stars, all of the talent, but he was the one they would all stop and listen to. Um, and he was brilliant with us, the media as well. He would front up. He never shied away after a terrible defeat. He would come out there. And I do feel like the the fact that, yes, his performances have waned a little bit in the last couple of seasons. I think injuries played their part as well, and maybe just age. You know, I think it just happens. It comes to all of us. Um, not that I was a Premier League footballer or anything, but... Uh, you know, to it's so rare to have a goalkeeper that's so good that for a decade or so you don't have to replace him. I mean, that's incredible. And that shows the mark of what kind of player he was. And I was watching back some of his saves this morning as well. Yeah, that one from uh, Xavier Hernandez, Leverkusen one, is just, it's mind-boggling how he manages to get it. And I was looking back, there's so many. Because he, he, I think, I don't know if it's because he used to be a very good tennis player when he's young. But his ability to suddenly get his hand up above his head as a reaction save, especially tipping away ones that are heading towards the top corner, I think he's one of the best in the world for it. I was looking back at some of them. Um, uh, Mario Goetze, Danny Welbeck, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Shay Adams, uh, Gundogan, uh, Gundogan in the um, uh, the 3-2 win at the Etihad um, last year. There was an amazing save he made from him as well. And also, double saves. I watched a couple he made. Double saves against Dwight Gale. Uh, there was one from Salisu and Adams in the game against Southampton as well, both in 2021. And he actually, weirdly, was never really known as a penalty saver. Yet in the last year or two, maybe a little bit more, uh, uh, actually, no, it was more. It was back to 2019 as well. He started to just almost like get the hang of it it was really weird like this little late resurgence in his career of penalties there and obviously most famously Abamyang. that was a massive one in the north london derby uh aguero as well that was a huge one um and yeah i just feel like i think people will look back in time and realize what a great player he was for spurs one of the best goalkeepers spurs have ever had definitely their best goalkeeper of the premier league era um, obviously, we hope that Guillermo Vicario will go on to challenge that and and and, and uh, yeah, have a terrific career with Spurs as well. But I just think Larice has just been an incredible player for Spurs, and it's such a kind of a footballing travesty that he never won any silverware with Spurs and lifted that trophy because he absolutely deserved it. He saved Spurs so many times in so many games. Yes, he would have the odd erratic moment, whether it be with his feet or from across. But the majority of his games uh, was so good and he was so important to the team and he was such a leader in the back line. I think we've said this before, I'm sure we have, that during uh, the pandemic, uh, when there were no crowds, we could really fully appreciate how much he shouts during a game. 
during the matches, it's only really the players that can probably hear that and those who are behind the goal in the crowd. Um, but yeah, we actually got to hear how much he organizes and controls that back four. Um, and obviously that's now Vicario jobs. And actually Vicario spoke very well about him as well and, and how much he in these last six months have, has helped his transition. So uh, yeah, terrific goalkeeper and a really kind of a, an important guy behind the scenes at Spurs. And yeah, Los Angeles is a great move for him. It's um, MLS football is, is growing and growing constantly. Um, I've said this before, but his wife um, is a very successful, I think it's a children's clothing range as well, which I think is big in America. So it's big. It's a great family move for them. Um, I was actually speaking to a French journalist yesterday at the stadium. um, And he was saying that they're all, the family is all really excited about the move, but just maybe the oldest girl has kind of been in England that little bit longer. She's made friends here. It's probably the one who's going to be the most difficult for out of all of them. Um, and yeah, you just kind of don't think about that with footballers' lives. It's kind of the having to uproot. And that's been the thing for Larice. Ten, uh, sorry, 11 and a half years in one place. It's probably the most constant and settled footballers have, have been, you know. So, uh, yeah, a new adventure for them, and I'm sure everyone wishes them the best. And, uh, yeah, a new era at Tottenham. You know, Ben Davies is now the longest-serving player, isn't he? He is. He is. Uh, yeah, I think that was put to him yesterday in the mix zone by Sky. Uh, just ask him, well, what do you think about it? Just, yeah. Okay, yeah, he didn't really have much to say about it for whatever reason. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is, uh, right? Before we bring this podcast to a close, as 2023 has come to a close, we're just going to briefly go over our best and worst moments, uh, of the past 12 months. Safe wow. to say, uh, an incredibly mixed 12 months, uh probably struggling for the best moments uh there's an awful lot of contenders for the worst moments so ellie do you want to start off uh with your best moments best moments i think the appointment of Ange postacoglu has to be right up there that clearly has changed the entire direction of the football club and it's I think it's helped out a lot of people behind the scenes as well at the top of the club. Um, you know, he might not have been the first choice for the role, but my goodness, he's, uh, yeah, he's given the club an identity, uh, a way forward. And this is the big thing for me, even now, even now with the club, uh, the team, you know, so weakened and missing so many players. Previously, when that happened at Spurs teams in the past, they used it as an excuse. You could see they they just felt beaten sometimes before they even went into games. Whereas now, Postecoglou's made it so clear that it doesn't matter who's missing, doesn't matter who's playing in what positions, whether they're right positions or not. We play this kind of football, and having that central idea for them all to grab onto like a life raft has just been so important. Um, so yeah, for me, yeah, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to say best moment was the appointment of Ange Postecoglou. Yeah, I've got two. Uh, I agree with yep. you on Ange. Uh, obviously, I backed him for the job. That was oh, yeah, the yeah. Don't, we the... don't forget. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, I know, you pushed I know. it quite well. That's Very what I'm well. saying. It was just all those emails to Daniel Levy. The works, the works in the end. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it was just nice to see him get the job because I think he deserved a big job after the really. Uh, good two seasons he had at Celtic when he won five trophies from 
possible six. And I just think he's the best thing to happen to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club for years. He's got them yeah. playing this attractive brand of football and the future really is so, so exciting for Spurs at the moment because they're playing this good football. They're only a few points off the top of the league and they're getting Madison, Van der Ven, Romero back from injury at some point soon, hopefully this month. Obviously, Sabasuma, Son to come back from their respective tournaments, potential January signings. You know, I think 2024 can be a really, really good year for Spurs. So, yeah, I think the best moment for me is Andrew's appointment on a four-year contract. Me, other best moment, the win over Sheffield United at home because uh, they look like they're going to lose that game. And then, obviously, Richarlison, you know, a few days after talking about his struggles and yeah. <laughs> just contributing, big, big moment. But Kulosevsky's winner, it was like the roof came off the stadium, the emotion. Yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely deafening and you can't beat a last-minute winner. And the celebrations after the game when the music was pumping was something we've yeah. not probably seen before to that level. At Spurs, even though like to beat Man City in the Champions League quarter-final, that was just incredible. And yeah, I just think that, for me, a standout moment. That's a great choice. Yeah, it showed the togetherness between the, the team and the fans and the yeah. manager all in one moment. Well done. That was very yeah. good. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't sound surprised that you said something really good. <laughs> it was just like, I hadn't even thought about that. That's just, that's a fantastic moment. Yeah. But the thing is, over 12 months, for me, just matches just seem to blend into one yeah. there's only like a few you can remember but I, I think there's a fair few we can put for the worst moment of uh 2023 i've got three games i'm going for i'm just going for one i'm just going for one because i've never i've never wanted to leave a football stadium before during a match uh either as a, as a fan or a reporter but my goodness, I wanted to. And actually, we had to go inside briefly, didn't we? Because it was that horrendous debacle at St. James's Park, which was just atrocious on the pitch. It was a Tottenham team that didn't have a clue what they were doing. Uh, unfortunately, it was it was the end for Christian Stellini. It was just... I remember asking him that I feel like I've asked too many managers this now. Like you, are you worried about getting the sack? And, and obviously it came a few days later. It was just one of the worst games of football I've ever seen a group of professional players play. They look like a bunch of school kids put out there against kind of uh, a premier league side. And to top it off on top of that, it was like a monsoon in St. James's park. And for us as reporters the press area is not covered it doesn't quite fall underneath the uh the roof so we've got laptops open we've got all electrical equipment around us things plugged into sockets and we're getting rain poured on us and i'm not even talking about like a your average kind of uk rainstorm this was like sheet rain i did say sheet just to make it very clear just pouring down upon us like a waterfall uh, we had to eventually, I think it was about four or five minutes before yeah. halftime, we had to close our laptops, shove them in the bag and just go inside because where the, the media room is, it was a tiny little TV, a little bit like ones you kind of watch your TV on in like the 1980s. Um, I'm sure it wasn't a really old TV, it was just a very small one. And we're all kind of, a few of us are all kind of gathered around it, making sure we don't miss anything at the end of the game. 
but I could have quite easily just gone home at that moment, jumped on a train, back home from Newcastle, because that was just, it was disgraceful. Um, they repaid, that was the one where the club repaid the fans, didn't they, for their journey. And I think for me, that was the lowest point. And, and I think it also signalled Stellini's exit, which again, for me, was another low point, because it showed that not only have you got rid of the manager that you felt was going to be the big manager that was going to change everything, but you've then got rid of the guy that you wanted to steer the ship just a few games later, leaving poor old Ryan Mason to have to come in again to try and restore some kind of order. Um, and it just, for me, everything about that game showed everything that was going rotten within Spurs in that moment. It was just horrendous. Um, and that's why it kind of fed nicely into my favourite moment, which was uh, Ange coming along and uh, and saying, nah, enough of this mess. <laughs> We're doing it my way. Yeah, I've got Newcastle in my worst moments as well. Just that getting absolutely drenched they were. You know what? Three down within 10 minutes. <laughs> Five nil after, what, 21 minutes? Uh-huh. And yeah, we just had to go in. Absolutely drenched. And when I was making my way in, there was some Newcastle fans in Concourse saying, you Tottenham. So was like, yeah, a couple of Tottenham then just started laughing. So they were just <laughs> taking the Vicky. Oh my God. Uh just I mean, we should stress these are very much first world problems. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. we're going free to a game and we're moaning about the weather. But my goodness, it just summed up the day. It just Yeah. It's, it's just next time we go to St. James's Park, just wear a jacket with a hood, regardless <laughs> yeah. of the weather. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Uh I've got another two games as worst moments. Sheffield United in the FA Cup away. Dreadful. Oh, yes. Less said about that, the better. Because, I mean, that was just one year on from the Middlesbrough defeat. What was bad enough. But that was horrendous. Then Milan at home in the Champions League. Obviously. Yeah. It was really flat, wasn't it? Just such a good good opportunity to try and go through. You know, Milan, not the greatest of teams in the world. But it's just like never got going. It was just such a wasted opportunity. But... Yeah, I think by far the Newcastle game comes out on top as the worst moment. Yeah, so... just thinking about it very quickly, I was going to say I could have snuck in a, a favourite moment in terms of being a reporter. It wasn't a good moment, obviously, for the club, but I think Conte's yeah. outburst, uh, was it Southampton? It was Southampton. Yeah, yeah, free, yeah. free, yeah. Yeah, that, that was like a moment when as a journalist, you're sitting there thinking, wow <laughs> you're trying to process everything and he's like bellowing back at you kind of thing i i kind of started him off and then i think it was dan from the evening standard that started to really kind of stoke him up even further um what was it i can't remember the words he shouted at dan um oh, i can't it's gone out of my head but it was just uh yeah it was just amazing stuff and we just all as soon as it finished we're just like looking at each other like wow did that just happen kind of thing and then obviously you've got to report on it you've got to get it all out there so it kind of could have fitted into both categories there it could have been the worst moment in terms of you knew it was the beginning of the end for Conte but also kind of a, a favorite moment in terms of as a journalist being able to tackle something like that and also kind of into or, or ask questions of someone who is ready like to explode like that it was uh it was fascinating and uh yeah another one to to stick in the experience uh draw uh with Nuno and Jose and Mauricio and, and everyone beforehand 
Yeah, so obviously now we're in 2024. Uh, I think it's got the potential to be a really, really good year for Spurs. They're in such a good place in the Premier League table at the moment. I think they just need to get through January, get all these players back, potential new signings as well coming in, which will only strengthen them. And I think the European returns on the cards, whether or not that's Champions League or Europa League, We'll wait and see, but yeah, I think Spurs will be back in Europe and, you know, I think maybe, you know, top three, if results go their way, uh, just need to keep on plugging away as they are doing. And I think with the other teams involved in Europe, uh, that can work in Spurs' favour. So it'd be nice also to see a good run in the FA Cup. I think they've got a favourable yes. draw at home to Burnley. Uh, especially after the past two seasons, those FA Cup fifth round exits away at Middlesbrough and Sheffield United. Spurs obviously need a good crack at winning silverware and I don't think any team will want to come up against Spurs, uh, which will hopefully help them. And I think the other good thing for me for 2024 is just the transfer windows and what Ange can do uh, at the club. He said he needs a good few transfer windows, you know, to get Spurs is the club he wants them to be at. Spurs have had one really good window. Now, here's the second one. Let's see what they can do. And then let's see what they can do in the third one in the summer. But I think he's made big, big strides already at Spurs. And it's just really exciting to see what the future holds for the football club with him at the helm. Absolutely, yeah. 2024 could be superb. You know, it's Spurs, because so it could also be <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Um, but it feels like Postacoglu won't allow that. It kind of feels like he's just got a, a firmer grip on what's happening at the club than than previous managers, really. Um, and just because he's found a Spurs that are so were so vulnerable and so needed someone to come in and take charge properly. Um, and yeah, transfer window is going to be massive. I think this first one is an important building block. You know, we await to see. It feels like uh, Todibo and Dragasin are the kind of the front runners for the centre back spot. Um, you'd imagine Dragasin is the easier one to do right now. Obviously, there may be a late contender, another kind of centre back that that comes out of woodwork. But it feels like Dragasin is. Uh, you'd imagine Genoa would be more. Uh, willing to allow him to leave than certainly Nice would with uh, Todibo in, you know, they're in a title fight in League Earn right now. It would just be the worst time ever to let someone like that go, especially when, you know, you could probably have a massive auction in the summer and have so many clubs going for him. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Who knows? There could be a, a late kind of twist in that tale. But Dragasin, yeah, I don't think it's... Um, if you want to look into why... No, that's not fair. I'm going to say why Spurs are interested in him because they were interested before a certain Italian chap came on board. But if you look back at uh, Dragerson's history, uh, yeah, he was signed for Juventus 2018 uh, amid lots of interest in him. Uh, and that recruitment department that brought him in was led by, uh, yep, you guessed it, Fabio Paratici. So... While I would normally kind of, I wouldn't normally scoff at it, but, you know, you would kind of think like, oh, okay, well, there you go. There's a link. It's another Paratici player. But actually, let's be honest, the last time in a January window, Fabio Paratici went back for a couple of his players. Worked out pretty well. So I don't think I could probably kind of feel that way about Dragosin. And certainly, 
you know, his stats seem very good, and the the indications are that Postacoglu likes both him and Todibo. Um, Romero was ex Juventus as well. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, another one. Yeah, another another player that's uh, she has uh, bought in the past and realised yes they could make the step up and uh, yeah yeah so we'll see what happens there but um, it's just about getting the right fit for Postacoglu. That's the key now. Is is don't get any players like Dan Juma. Get players that absolutely fit the system that Postacoglu wants and that he wants. Um, and then, yeah, and then we know they're looking at a potential number eight and a uh, attacker that can kind of play across the front lines, you know, out wide, but also maybe do a job in the middle if required. Um, and we'll see what that brings. There's a fair few names out there as potentials. Centre-back's the priority, though. That You know, they're looking to get a deal done in the, the first week of the window. Um, and like you say, 2024 you get that building block right right at the start uh show you know a very much a change in habit for spurs january window they do not operate early they don't they wait for opportunities they they wait till clubs are a little bit more desperate if postacoglu gets them to bring in a signing in the first week of the january window that's another major indicator of how much he's chaining behind the scenes um and yeah, Brent Ben Davies was speaking about looking at the table and and trying not to too much, but also making sure that they're there or thereabouts as the season goes on. A lot of those players, as well as kind of being back and available, they're going to be pretty fresh for the second half of the season. They haven't had the grind of the first half of the season. So Spurs, especially without European football, are going to be in a decent position. Again, look, they might just have another diff, 10 different players out injured the way they're going. But if they can start getting luck on their side as well in terms of the injuries, um, 2024 could be absolutely fantastic. Um, and we could find it much easier on the next uh, New Year's Day edition to speak about all of the good moments and favourite moments of the year and hopefully less of the bad ones. Yeah, just hoping the year's time we don't come back to this and none of this happened. We'll, we'll wait and see. Oh, no. Richarlison, player manager. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Football, the, like we said, it's crazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. We'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. Uh, we'll be back, I think, next week to reflect on the FA Cup third round clash against Burnley. So, as ever, thank you for listening and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. To grab a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box.